Welcome to this bonus episode of The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Sher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. Today we have joining us Mike Zipko. Mike has worked in the media and then worked in politics for a number of years, including both for the Republican Party of Minnesota, as well as in communications under Norm Coleman and Governor Arnie Carlson. He was also part of the transition team for Governor Jesse Ventura. Mike is a principal at Velocity Public Affairs, where I currently work, and where Michael has done some contract work. Big news over the past few days is the appointment and subsequent resignation of the first director of the Office of Cannabis Management. We always try to provide some sort of insider scoop, so we wanted to bring in someone who has experience working for two governors in some capacity. And so Mike joins us today to break down how these appointments typically go, how this blunder happened, and where we stand today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Mike, we are discussing today the recent chaos that ensued following the appointment and then um, in 24 hours later, the resignation of the cannabis director here in the state of Minnesota. Um, in your experience, can you walk us through a little bit of working in the transition under Governor um, Jesse Ventura? How Obviously, there are lots of appointments that need to be made, lots of directors for different agencies, departments that need to be selected, how that goes. And then um, we'll get into the the chaos surrounding um, Aaron Dupree. Normally, in situations like that, at least it's been my experience, there is a team and a process to do this as a place for people to submit resumes to say that they're interested. There's also usually an outside process where people are trying to recruit people they think would be good for this. But there's normally a process where you go through, look at the backgrounds of people, vet their experience. As they go through each level of this and go to the next level of selection, there is a point when there's legal research done, checking to see criminal backgrounds, things like that, trying to find out as much stuff as possible before they get to the point of having actual interviews with the person making the decision. Because realizing if I hire someone just for velocity and they don't work out, that's a, a private situation when you go to work for a government entity, especially something like this in a high profile place. There's challenges if this doesn't work out. So you try to vet all that stuff on the inside and take that stuff very seriously, realizing that there's going to be people with friends inside the system who want their person to get through the process. There's usually others that are saying, okay, that's great, but by the way, we need to go through this and check this out. Or also look at the counter, what, you know, what's, is there a risk to this person as much as someone may be excited about someone being considered? Is there a risk? Are there things we need to know? Or what else do we need to know before we make a decision? It's supposed to be a pretty onerous process only because to avoid what just happened. So we had Curtis Hanna on um, a, a couple of times, but most recently we discussed it. It was right after they announced that there were some 150 people who um, put in applications to be the new director of this new agency. Um now, I, I obviously none of the three of us here were part of the process, know exactly when it went into the process, but one has to assume that it was pretty cumbersome, that they went into the resumes, that they had interviews, that they talked to references, that they did social media, they did simple Google searches. Um, in your experience, what kind of depths did, did folks go through to, to make sure that these people were vetted before they were announced to the public? Well, I didn't do the vetting work. I, as a communications person, would have to kind of keep an eye on the process, and it got to the point of making announcements. But just watching some of the people who were involved, they were pretty serious. They had serious professional backgrounds. I'd either done this before, uh, and oftentimes there's HR people that get brought in, people with HR backgrounds. 
but I also think there's a there's a process in place. There are people who have done this before or normally either part of it internally or externally. Sometimes you may just reach out to some people in the private sector to say, hey, can you help us with this? We're going through a process of trying to hire some people you know, or sometimes you do it internally, but normally there's people who do that. I wasn't involved with, I just know how, how serious the process had been. And also people took it really seriously because if I pass the name on to the next level, I own that decision to say this person, I think, deserves future consideration. In this particular situation, it appears that a lot of basic steps were missed. The candidate that they put forward to be the cannabis czar had legal issues in terms of tax liens, judgments that had been filed against her. There were, was also a news story that broke by the Star Tribune that discussed some regulatory issues that she had related to some products that were being sold at her current, one of her businesses that would that were illegal, that they were essence outside the, the standards by which the products could be sold legally in the state of Minnesota. Is it Was the candidate, where did you think, Mike, that the system broke down? Because it appears that just doing a basic search, the kind of routine background search that you would do on someone, that there were a number of red flags that should have raised concerns, having someone like this in a regulatory capacity, independent of the products that were being sold in her store that were illegal to be sold in the state of Minnesota. So it seems to be a twofold breakdown in the system, both products that were sold in her store that people in the know about marijuana legislation and what was legal in this state missed. But it also seems from an HR perspective and just a vetting standpoint that no one did the basic homework on this individual's background. It says to me as someone who's not been involved in the process directly, but just kind of watching the outcome, there were people who clearly wanted her in that position. They wanted her to have that job. And there were people inside the governor's office or people close to the governor who wanted her in that position for either her work helping support the legislation or her just work as an expert in the field. And either they didn't themselves understand the sophistication of what the job brings, the regulatory component alone is really interesting, or they decide they didn't have a structure in place to look at her background. I mean, if you're going to put someone in charge of making rules, that person needs to have the credibility to have not been in violation of anything prior to that. And at some point, someone needs to say, I understand you want person A in that job. Okay, we do have to go do a check and find out what we need to know. And I, it, if that happened, I mean, it's hard to believe that happened based on what we're learning. It also, there were a number of members of the media who pointed out after this announcement was made that she had limited qualifications based on just the job description that was presented for this job. So does that lend to your experience, Mike, observing this process and, and also to Becky, does that lend you to, to the art, believe that she, for some reason, was fast-tracked into this job with uh, having someone being an advocate for her behind, behind the scenes rather than her getting selected on her qualifications? Because it seems, based on both Things in her past, in terms of legal filings that were against her, raised some questions. The products that she was selling inside her store that were in violation of the rules that were that are allowed related to the selling of these products in Minnesota, then coupled with her very limited experience in terms of overseeing and getting into this type of position, is it fair to say that leads you two to think 
that someone behind the scenes was advocating for her and they were willing to overlook some of those shortcomings in her background? I think to me, it says that kind of, this is a first of, it's the first person who's gonna run this. It's a brand new part of government. I think they were looking for kind of something a little bit more, less political, less experience in terms of the traditional person known either through, you know, the different, different known people we know who run agencies, the people like Mike Vekic has been brought in to do fix-its at different agencies, looking for somebody beyond that, wanting a new face to be able to put a, a like a brighter, more kind of a, a brighter face to this rather than someone who's more experienced that may be viewed as kind of too much part of the system. And I kind of feel like there's a, they have a connection or a commitment to let's do something different and be a little bit bold, but they did bold without a safety net and it came back to really bite them. I completely agree. I think it is. I mean, it's just absolutely mind boggling to me because you start. So I, I've mentioned before, I worked on, on the Romney 2012 presidential campaign. Um, and and let's say, so we had Paul Ryan, you know, from Wisconsin was the running mate. So we were able to get either Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan or the two or another surrogate that came into the state. And so anytime a, a high level surrogate came into a state, a level of vetting would have to come. So let's say we wanted to do a simple meet and greet at a small business or whatever it looked like. Um, that was sent up the chains and the vetting was done. And that was something that they looked into criminal background. They went into financial backgrounds. And if there were tax liens, I mean, that was somebody that was simply axed off. And this is, I'm saying like a meet and greet at like a juice bar or, you know, a, a small cafe. That was not something that they wanted to be affiliated with. And so this gets to, well, I, I'll, I'll tie it into my next question here um, of, did they know and ignore or did they not know? Both of which are equally troublesome for different variety of reasons. But I do agree, Michael, that I do think that there seems to be some reason. I'm fully behind somebody that would be stepping into a role like this that does have the personal background business experience. Um, what I find troublesome is in her now resignation, uh, 24 hours after she accepted the position, she said, I never knowingly sold any non-compliant product. The role of this job is literally to make sure that people are compliant. And so the fact that she was unaware when there was a Facebook video that showed products that were not compliant is just astounding to me. So it's just a level of um, troublesome situations uh, compounding themselves. So I'm going to turn it back around. Do you think that it was either... A, they vetted and chose to ignore or thought people wouldn't care, or B, did they not properly vet? The governor threw out a statistic yesterday. We're recording this on a Sunday. He made the comment on Saturday that his administration has produced roughly 2,600, I think 2,699 appointments, and there haven't been a lot of blowups like this. There was one recently where someone there was some allegations of abuse. and Domestic? That, so this one, though, blew up in a, just an absolutely cataclysmic way all over the media. And so I think it's pretty clear that they had a system because it's difficult for me to think that the system worked that they had in place 2,699 times. But in this particular incident, there was no oversight. It leads me to believe, just based on their track record, which by all accounts has been good, that there was something going on behind the scenes where this candidate was looked over and the problems in their background were ignored or not considered to be as serious as they were because they've done it right so many times 
that in this particular instance, it just seems to be a complete, absolute failure. The questions I would ask, and granted, it's incredibly difficult because it's pretty rare to have a real-time interaction with the governor to ask him questions other than in a meet and greet or kind of a walk in a spray, video spray. Who was the person who recommended her to the office? Because that's the other place. Where did that name come into the mix? Who was the person who brought that name forward? I mean, without looking, digging into the politics and figuring out campaign finance and things like that, was there someone in a, in a relationship with, with the governor's office who brought that name forward? That would be interesting to me because depending on who brought the name forward, they may be somebody of, of, of significance enough that can skip other steps. But that does beg the question, if this person, a pretty basic check of backgrounds and the fact that there were plenty of other people who apparently captured the social media from this person and shared it with the Star Tribune before they took it down, that wasn't very hard to do. How did that name come into the mix? That might explain the process here because there may be a process in place that they've used for all these other nominations and selections, but for some reason, this one passed that because of how the name came into the mix. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to look at if, if it's somebody that, I mean, I think in everyday life, if you're vouching for someone or something, that you should be willing to stand behind that. And and so if this is somebody who was fast-tracked for some reason, um, not only did they overlook or not um, look deep enough into the levels of THC um, products that this individual is selling at their at their business, which obviously is a massive violation for somebody who's going to be in charge with making sure that people are within the thresholds of THC and CBD levels across the state, um, but also overlooked the um, lack of whether you call it actual, I don't know if it's actually been determined as wage theft, but um, overdue or on, you know, of due wages for previous employees that um, courts were determined to have found her um, guilty of, of needing to, to repay. And then also the tax liens. And so um, having, it's not just one, it's, it's three rather sizable um, issues that I think one should be almost disqualifying, but all three. And so if this is somebody high up, I think that's also something that um, I'm, I am I never am going to say I, I don't like the karma out there saying that I'm ever going to be vouching for somebody to lose their job. But sometimes heads should roll. And in this situation, if this is somebody who was vouching for Aaron Dupree, who was pushing her through the system to make sure that she got this job for whatever reason that might be, um, I think that that should should come out and should be, you know, we we should know more about that, of of why these checks and balances that should be in place that we're hearing from Mike previously were in place for previous administrations, um, why they failed. And if if it was because of a, an individual, if that individual um, has good enough judgment to, to stay involved. I, I would also add that I find it frustrating and I'm not going to give the governor's office a pass on this, that when the allegations were first raised and the discussion first came out when the Star Tribune first wrote the story, the governor's office punted and deferred comment to Aaron Dupree and didn't accept accountability and responsibility right away. Everyone's talking about Aaron Dupree because she was nominated by the governor's office and announced as an appointment. I should say an appointment, not a nomination. Announced as an appointment. She was put into the spotlight because of the governor's office. And it is the governor's office when one of their appointments is scrutinized that they have a responsibility to answer questions about it. And they should have responded right away and they should not have punted to, her, to anyone because it's the governor's office, that it's their imprimatur 
on her. They presented her as being a qualified candidate to lead this office, this newly formed office. And when this story broke and they're declining to comment and they're encouraging reporters to contact their appointment directly, that's not a sign of a well-oiled machine. I think you're right, Michael. And sometimes little things become bigger things. You know, what's very interesting is just watching how the governor has handled his first term and moving in, you know, moving forward. There's like an accountability challenge that that office seems to have when people ask questions like, why did this not go like it was supposed to? Or can you help us understand what we think is incorrect information? The fact that right away they deferred media requests to her and not them right away was really interesting because they're the ones who appointed her. They could have stepped up and said, we're going to look into this from, you know, or gathered, grabbed a hold of the story right away. It almost kind of sent the message of this is a free for all sort of thing when the governor itself says, well, call her. We don't really know, except you're the one that's supposed to have reviewed her experience and checked to see if she she's qualified. They didn't do that. Then he comes out Saturday and says, yeah, it's my bad. Oh, but by the way, most of these other appointments have been fine. So, you know, nothing to see here, folks. Just keep on going. And to me, it's going to be interesting to see. There is a challenge the media has of trying to get the governor to answer direct questions on certain situations, even with the SRO issue and things like that, where the governor does not like to be held in a position where people are asking questions of his role or responsibility related to situations. This might be one because there is really inherent frustration with some of the media who cover the governor because of a lack of access and a lack of a, the ability to have a real-time conversation with him where it's about, you know, a, without a kind of a, here's 14 things at once, but hey, governor, what about this? Maybe that won't be the case, but this is a very much an unforced error. And I think the ultimate thing that Becky said is right, to try and figure out where this came in. And if it's somewhat of significance, you know, there should be consequences because it makes you wonder, they're going to have to hire a leader of the uh, office to deal with you know, paid family leave. There's other big decisions that are coming. This one is a pretty important issue for them. They talked about this when they campaigned. They talked about this the entire first term. You know, they got it through with the, you know, with the tiny majority. This was a really big deal for them and that they ended up with someone like this who raised all kinds of questions and even to the effect that some of the advocates for the, the legislation were frustrated that this person got picked. Just seems to me like something really got missed. You know, and I think in... Again, I have, we've we've talked about this topic a number of times. I am supportive of legalizing marijuana. I think, though, because there is such a discrepancy across um, the constituency, across Minnesotans, of level of support for this, that I think it's especially um, important that the person who takes over this department is something, someone that can be trustworthy, um, that, that folks can look to and say, I feel confident with this individual and them leading this agency of so many new things, right? You know, it is so new. There are so many questions. But in particular, I think of a lot of um, people, you know, whether it's my parents' age or or just in particular of a of, of voting sect of folks who are going to look and have so many questions and all they want to know is that this is not going to be a free-for-all, you know, drugged up state, you know, going forward. And so I think that the fact that the governor passed the buck, which is funny because his statement then, um, I'm going to read part of this, says, one of the responsibilities, and I take it, and the buck stops with me, is the appointment of literally thousands of people. In this case, the process did not work out. We got this wrong. Now, I totally appreciate um, a an acceptance of responsibility, which I think the governor tried to do. But I think, as Michael, you mentioned, 
their qualification of like, well, it was two out of 2,700 also shows, I mean, the two out of 2,700 were two rather large reasons that these people, domestic violence and, you know, all of the things that we've already mentioned with Aaron Dupree are pretty compelling. And so I don't think that as a governor, you really get to fall on like, well, we 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 typically most of the time got it right. I think that this is something that we need to find somebody. I, I appreciate a business leader or somebody who is experienced in the in the situation in the culture of of legal marijuana and selling of that. I think that's great. But we need somebody who people can stand behind and look to that is going to be a strong leader in this world. And I think the fact that that this poll got dropped so much is is really disappointing. And I want to point to 24 hours. Now, Mike, you were a journalist. You worked in the media for a number of years. Talk to us a little bit about like how was this come from tips? Did folks just really like, I mean, spend a little bit of time and found this so easily that the fact that it was literally within 24 hours that she was announced and resigned, that this information all came to be is just kind of wild to me. Uh, it would seem to me, and Michael, you may probably know more about this than I do, but just knowing there's intensity around this issue. There's different people who wanted that position or wanted to be involved in leadership. And I'm, my guess is those who didn't uh, win the appointment were frustrated and quickly did some research to figure things out. It also just shows you the intensity of things like this. And And if someone else could find this stuff that quickly, that would really suggest to me how little homework was done. And I think your other point is right. You know, yeah, he, there's a lot of these appointments that we have never paid attention to. That's great, but if that's your excuse saying, well, I did I did good on a lot of these things, but a few things didn't work. Feeding Our Future was something, there's a lot of programs he's run in his administration, but that happened to be one that, oops, that one didn't really work out. So all the others are okay. That's not a good equivocating argument. But I, I think to me that there's a, there's a, you know, the intensity of this stuff, this issue has got intensity on all sides, both on the people who are opposed to it, who are frustrated that this has gone forward. And there's also people who are on the advocacy side that are either not happy with the level of advocacy or how the program rolled out. Whoever you're going to put in there, really it's dangerous to me to have a political a newbie who's not been involved because, you know, one of the cliches about politics, there's no such thing as second place. If you're in a situation like this, it's not it's not good enough to be almost good enough. In a situation like this, you actually need to be of high credibility. And the other thing, it doesn't probably come in, up to this yet, but there's already a challenge the administration has with law enforcement related to SRO. The Putting in a regulatory system for marijuana and cannabis and everything else is going to involve regulatory situations that are going to involve law enforcement. This is, you know, this is another case where you, you had someone who's going to be putting rules in place on how this is going to be run who either inadvertently violated them or B, just didn't have familiarity enough to follow them, it would say to, it, it would create more doubt and confusion at a time when this should have been a, in another win for them. Hey, look what we did. It's the miracle moving forward. And this turned out to not be, this may be a tempest in a teapot. It may be over soon, but I have a feeling some of this stuff may linger just in terms of if and when the media get chances to have direct interaction with the governor. There's a point I want to make. Don't want to take anything away from the reporters that broke this story. This was some great work by both the Star Tribune and, and Minnesota Public Radio to get some information out on this. That being said, without saying names publicly, because I don't know the full extent of what they did, there are members of the cannabis community in the state of Minnesota who are really spiking the football, both on some social media posts about, in essence, try, I think trying to, reading between the lines, taking some ownership for Mr. Pre 
having to step back from her job, having to pull her name back, having to, in essence, resign, saying, in essence, she's out. And so I think this was a combination of reporters breaking information uh, that they had found. I also think it's pretty clear, based on the intensity of it, the fact it was so swift, that someone was prepared to get this type of information out on her in a very fast way. Now, let me also point out one other thing. Regarding the noticing some of the products that were in her store that were that became of issue as Becky was articulating some products that were outside the bounds as to what could be legally sold in Minnesota, I believe it would take someone with a real appreciation and understanding of what was legal to be tracking yes. and monitoring that type of situation. I certainly, someone who's worked in opposition research, uh, I certainly would have no ability to know and, and analyze those type of products and figure that type out. So it lends itself to me, that type of hit or that type of catch by someone leads me to believe that someone inside the cannabis community was watching this process very closely, was unhappy with the selection that was made, and was doing their work to document some issues with what she was selling in her stores. And when the opportunity came to disseminate that, they did. But again, I don't want to take anything away from the reporters. And I also don't want to diminish the fact that Ms. Dupree made this incredibly easy by making some of the decisions that she made to be, in essence, torpedoed in her new job. The only thing I want to disagree with that on is um, is just in my experience, so five to 10 milligrams uh, per serving is pretty common. And um, whether that's now the the seltzer or gin drinks you can have or the, the gummy edible type things. And there is a significance, I think, from, from my awareness of it between an individual who goes for a five to 10. So I, I don't necessarily know that it's like completely like behind the scenes, some, you know, very um, high scale thing that somebody, I, I think that if you were somebody who consumed and, and typically consumed five, you would be aware if you went somewhere and were looking for something and they sold 10, that that was, was a thing. So I just wanted to, I just want to say that, but, but I agree. I think that the fact that You've done this for a number of years, Michael, of of finding things out from people, um, from folks' backgrounds, what they posted on social media, whatever that might be. And so it just is is so shocking to me that this this wasn't a matter of days. This was, I mean, hours and and how fast it came to be, how clear. And it wasn't just like rumor has it. It was like, here's a TikTok video. I mean, that's, that's wild. A that was still video, valid at that time, right? Correct. A TikTok video from February. Someone had that TikTok video saved from February, ready to pounce in September. And that takes discipline to collect that type of material, hold it for the right opportunity, and then pounce. Mad props. One other thing, one other thing I wanted to point out was... Dupree made a, Ms. Dupree made a very kind of magnanimous comment to the media about her departure and why she was pulling out of the job. But on social media, she was very hard on Minnesota Public Radio and the Star Tribune for what was done. But she was also subtly very critical of, I think, the governor's office. She made some statements that she was told by them, they told me not to respond to reporters which was interesting that, it, in essence, giving the statement that she wished she would have been able to 
disclose more or talk more or be more proactive in explaining this to reporters, but they, quote, they told me not to. She also made a statement that she, and I think this was somewhat naive on her part, but I also think there's a responsibility on the governor's office or someone who was involved in the selection of this to understand that you're gonna, your title is to be cannabis czar. That's a big position in a new world that we have in Minnesota. She made some statements on social media that I have had media strangers show up to my house today and media calling on my personal cell phone. A couple of things. You're now a public figure. You're working in a public face of an administration with a massive law change in Minnesota. You're the first cannabis czar we've had. It's not uncommon in any kind of context for members of the media to call you on your cell phone. And so to go out and complain in the midst of a crisis, amidst of a PR situation that members of the media are calling your personal cell phone, well, guess what? That comes with the turf. You're now paid by the taxpayers. She was scheduled to start roughly $151,000 a year job, I think in the first week of October. It's not, in this type of day and age, in this type of situation, I think it's naive of someone to think that media is not going to stop by your house to try to talk to you, that they're not going to call your cell phone. And to go out and complain about that in the midst of a crisis while people are trying to get a hold of you is very naive. I will also say to you that she also added that my personal safety is at risk due to this appointment. This was never disclosed to me. I didn't sign up for this. I understand there's no at no point, and, and Becky and, and Mike, I would I think you'd all agree, but I don't want to speak for either of you. We don't want anyone to ever feel unsafe in, in any type of government job or in any type of job whatsoever. But the truth of the matter is that this is a, you are the cannabis czar. And I don't think it's, I should say this, it's pretty clear to me that she was not prepared for any level of scrutiny that was going to happen to her in this job. And I think that aside from every other kind of misstep in this process, it's very clear to me that the governor's office did not prepare a private citizen for what it was going to be like to transition to public service. And that's a shame because I think we both want, we all want, I should say, government to function and government to to do well. We want the government, the state government and federal government to get the best type of people to serve. And if we're not preparing people, private citizens, what it's like to transition to public life, we're not doing a good job. And I do think In that sense, I do think that it's fair to be critical of the governor's office for potentially not preparing her for what it was going to be like once her name was announced and that she was going to be in the public eye. Yeah, Michael, I think in addition to not handling the selection process, I mean, you're bringing someone into a different realm. I mean, if she's commenting on social media about things thinking that that's a private conversation with people back and forth related to the fact that she's now a public figure because of the, the fact that she was named to this position. One of the jobs when you work in those offices, whether you're doing the legal vetting or in the politics of it, is you sit down with people and help them understand this is what the position is like. These are the things that the job is responsible. These are the things the job brings with it. A high level of scrutiny, a lot of different things. You're going to be judged to a higher standard in a public realm in a way you probably weren't in the past, but the, all of those sorts of things. And if that wasn't done, that's tragic because you basically brought somebody who's almost a neophyte into the world of politics into not a, you know, a typical, the water department at a city, but a situation that is pretty highly charged. You're the first of, it's never happened in that space before. 
and you're also in a situation where there's people on all sides that don't like what the final outcome for different reasons. Some wish it had gone farther, and also some don't want it to have happened. So there's gonna be people out there either rooting for your your lack of success or challenging decisions decisions that you make. And you need to understand this is what this job is like now. And unfortunately, being a public figure means your your private side of life changes a lot. Someone should have, if they didn't do that, that's pretty crazy to bring someone into such a high intensity environment and say, good luck. Here you go. Here's the, here's the guidebook. Here's a, here's the binder for the agency. Have fun, you know? And then all of a sudden to then not at that point, when the person runs into trouble, all of a sudden get people together. I mean, I've done crisis communications before you get people together and figure out how you're going to handle it. Who's going to say what, what are we not going to say? And you find some way to move forward here. But the idea that she's now feeling the freedom or the defensiveness to say that they told me not to say anything says that there was a lot of things here that were not really tied together very well. I just, uh, Michael, I think that's a really good point that you bring up that that highlights another major failure of the administration, to be perfectly honest. And um, as, as Mike mentioned, this is something we, we do for clients at Velocity. We have um, media trainings. We have conversations. And I think being super honest with individuals about what they should expect. I, I've helped candidates launch their races on statewide, congressional, different levels. I think that number one is being really, really honest with individuals about how their life is going to change, how the scrutiny of, of everything, of, a, of social media posts, of different outings and events that they attend, how everything is going to be analyzed. And, 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 and I'm not saying it has to be this like massive week-long training session. I'm sitting just having conversations that everything you tweet or say is going to be looked at. Every business transaction that you've done is going to be looked at. Do you have skeletons in your personal closet? Do you have people that you have wronged that might come out? I mean, there's a SWOT analysis, right? That we look at strengths and we look at weaknesses and we look at that. I don't think that that is, I think that that is a conversation that somebody in this level of scrutiny, especially, again, because of the naysayers of the legalization of marijuana as a whole, I think is especially compelling to have those conversations. Even let's say you get your final two or three and you sit down with each of them and say, if this, if, if you're the one that's chosen, what things are you worried about? What things are you worried about? Somebody saying about you from high school, from college, from previous careers, from relationships, like you have to have those conversations and I don't know, again, if it was ignorance or complete woeful failure to have those conversations that what what it came to be. But I think it's a really crucial failure. And I think it is really disappointing also just because I think they set her up to fail in that, that they told her not to respond, that they gave her reasons to not expect that that was going to be a thing. Even if there were zero hitches, there were zero issues she should have expected that her cell phone was going to be blowing up for the next week or two. And the fact that nobody told her, hey, let it go to voicemail, send him a text message and say, hey, I'm busy right now, want to get back to you, what can, What are you looking for? You know, there are so many ways to get easy hits, easy responses, and, and it doesn't appear that she was prepared for that influx of of inquiries that she was prepared for with, you know, here are the top 10 questions you're going to get. It just seems like another massive failure. And it's and it's sad. I mean, I think that anybody I I appreciate anybody that's willing to step up to these kind of high powered, high stress situations. and, And it's disappointing that 
she was both her background and was also failed externally. I want to say in closing and give you guys an opportunity to say some things too before we end this episode, but I feel legitimately bad for Mr. Pre because it appears by all accounts that the system failed. The system failed to give her the support that she needed in terms of vetting her properly and setting her up for situations to succeed. This isn't through partisan blinders that we're bringing this episode up. We're not trying to in any way disparage her or, this, or be critical of her in any way. We're trying to break down the subject as to how this happened and having a fantastic resource like Mike able to come on and talk to us. But I do feel bad on a personal level and professional level for her having gone through this circumstance because by all accounts, um, she was not prepared by people who should have known better how this situation would play out. It appears that based on some of the posts on social media, at a critical time in which she could have received some additional support, she didn't receive it. And it appears that there were forces at play that didn't want to see her succeed. And what we want, I think, out of state government, and as I said before, in federal government, all branches of government, we want the best and brightest to succeed and want to take opportunities inside government to serve and have a role in public service. That being said, it's very clear in the situation that the system failed. I don't think it was a setup, but it was set up in a way where Ms. Dupree was not going to come out the other end of this process better. And it, it seems that her life's been turned upside down. I'm highly sensitive to that. And I want to just say at the ending here, I wish her the best. If there's ever an opportunity, if she wants to come on and talk, we welcome her to come on. But the reason why we're discussing this issue is not to focus on her shortcomings that people perceived in her resume and her, in some of those things that she had in her past, but more or less discuss how did someone like this get pushed out by a government agency and by the governor's office when they have such a good track record by all accounts of selecting people and not having these mistakes? How did the system fail so much? And that's the subject that we're trying to break down, not trying to analyze and poke, poke holes at, at Ms. Dupree or anything she's done in her past. Everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. But we want to analyze this from the perspective how the governor's office may have failed to help this person succeed. And that's what's so unfortunate. And I just want to, my last statement here is is to just agree with that because I've been in a lot of positions, whether it's working for candidates or the state party or members of elected office, that when hiring individuals, we ask questions of, are there things on social media that would have potential to come in backlash? Are there any court records or disagreements or, you know, like we ask these questions. And so I find it, again, hard to believe that that the governor's office didn't ask those. And and if they did ask those and she was forthcoming about some of these things um, or they found them in their own, I don't know, Google searches, that it, it, it's, it again seems that they just set her up for failure, that either she said, yes, I have XYZ tax liens or previous judgments against me that were a thing. And they said, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. I mean, I just I just find it hard to believe that that didn't come up in some capacity and they didn't reassure her that that was not going to be an issue. I, I, I mean, so I just think it's so troublesome. And, and again, I'm with you. I, I applaud anybody who's willing to step up to uh, this sort of agency lead role. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a lot of work, time-consuming, 
yes, has some great paychecks, but I don't know that that even covers the the amount of hours, especially for a new agency of this sort. I think that's going to be wild in in terms of the amount of uh, time and attention and and stress that goes into starting this agency. And so, um, yeah, I I just have to say I I really agree that I think that this is something that they it was a setup for failure and and sad. It's unfortunate because this is someone's life and right. state government's going to go on. This job is going to be filled. There's going to be someone in that role, but this is there's real life consequences for Ms. Dupree and her family. And that's where I think we're trying to focus this episode on how can we prevent this type of thing from happening again? And by discussing it, maybe give some insight. Mike, we'll give you the last word. Great. Well, there's two thoughts kind of that kind of land in my head towards the end of this one i feel bad for whoever gets the job next because the level of scrutiny is going to be pretty significant but i think the bigger loser here is just in minnesota in general not only is it hard enough to get good people to run for office it's really challenging to get people to come work in these jobs and agencies and parts of state government where we need smart people doing good work seeing something like this without you know from the outside if you're watching this or you hear about this and you're under consideration for a job potentially in the department of commerce the dnr or some of these other agencies or other part of public service you see this and you kind of wonder well i had that thing that happened to me or do i want to go into that space because something could happen to me in a very public way we're already chasing away really good people who want to run for office i think there's also a way to start chasing away good people to actually do the work the government does and I could, when Norm was elected in his first term as mayor, the number of people who came out of the private sector to be part of that administration was inspiring because he was able to bring in lots of people who normally wouldn't have done different things to be involved. And part of it, because it was a different time, it was before social media. But the, the intellect and experience they brought in was amazing. You start looking now at the different things the state of Minnesota is going to have to start dealing with, AI, regulations, things like this. You're going to need skilled people to come into these agencies in different parts of government. And when you see something like this flame out for whatever reason it may be, and I think you guys are right that they put this person in a place where she was clearly not ready for the intensity. But going forward, it's going to say to someone else who will think, well boy, I kind of like that. I'm kind of called to do something more than what I'm doing right now. But do I want to go into a place or a situation with this kind of intensity where all of a sudden everything in my life gets thrown on, on the, the kitchen table and then may chase away good people because this was mishandled. So I think there's a longer term impact of that. Short term politics was kind of, you could feel the intensity of this thing Friday when it really hit. But longer term, it's frustrating because we need to make those jobs more enhanced, more uh, attractive for these private sector people that we need to add. Instead, we're making it less so at a time when the talent drain in state government is a real issue. Mike, I want to thank you and, and Becky for getting together to talk about this um, again. Mike, where can people follow you at on social media? Uh, my social, my, uh, I still call it Twitter. Sorry, I'm not going to call it X. Is M Zipper, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. But my M Zipper is my Twitter handle. And uh, thanks for the chance to be on here. I'm a fan of the show, as and it's nice to have a chance to talk about this because as someone who's been around this kind of stuff, it's it's sad to see it happen because the impact it has on a person's life is significant but i just think it's hard enough to get people to come do these jobs now and now you're gonna have this yeah it's just really too bad again thank you both for coming together on a sunday night uh, to talk about this and i appreciate you also all of us but it's especially you two discussing it from the human perspective again this is a human being that went through this experience and, and uh, we want good people to succeed. We want everyone to succeed in life and in their work and in their profession and their personal life. And this is just a really unfortunate situation, but there's a human element to this. 
And I appreciate you both discussing it with such uh, care, respect, and candor and keeping an eye on that. We want to thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky will return this week with a new episode. Thank you again for joining us.